How young is too young for STEM? My Kids Daycare claims to teach STEM with activities geared to students as young as two. But how does a two-year-old even do STEM? What does that mean? I'm pretty skeptical, so I asked Claire, who's been teaching STEM for pre-K all the way to eighth grade. Tune in as I talk with Claire on all things STEM for little kids, learning goals, and what is even possible. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Claire. Hey, how's it going? Good. So this is really random, but I'm going to tell you where my husband is right now. (laughs) Oh, dear. No telling. (laughs) So backstory, he's a mechanical engineering professor at Texas A&M, and he was getting dressed. And I'm like, where are you going? Because it's summer break right now. He's not teaching any classes this summer. And so he's been mostly working from home. And he's like, I'm going on a field trip. (laughs) What? And I was like, a field trip? He's like, yeah, a bunch of professors got invited to this oil rig. And I was like, that's really random. And so what happened is, okay, so in the university, departments have advisory boards that are made up of a bunch of different experts and a lot of industry partners that have a stake in how we prepare engineers because they might work at their company. You know what I'm talking about? Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they like to have input on the curriculum. So they're like, you should teach SolidWorks or MATLAB or whatever tool because my company uses it. And they always try to like sway the department to do things certain ways. Well, it doesn't work. They don't like to listen. <laughs> Professors just like to do their own thing. No and way. So they're, I know, right? <laughs> so their new thing, and I just think this is brilliant and funny, is that they're taking professors on field trips to show them their company and what they do and like the technologies and maybe it'll inspire them to partner with like research or to promote it to their students as job opportunities. So that is why Justin is at an oil rig right now. (laughs) Okay. That is brilliant. And also funny, like you said, but I I mean, professors are not going to listen, so you do have to show them. And I don't think they'd really understand because a lot of our professors, I'm pretty sure, except for like two, had never been in industry before. So I'm sure when industry people say, hey, you need to do this because of this, the professors have no idea really what they're talking about anyway. They're like, well, what about the theoretical, whatever, <laughs> the blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you use? <laughs> you know? Exactly. And I was thinking we do this with teachers. So we say, oh, oh, STEM teachers, science teachers don't know enough of real world STEM. So we send them to companies to do like summer internships or we put them in labs with professors to get real world experience. Why haven't we done that with the faculty that are teaching the engineers and the scientists. No kidding. And that's why you do career chats. And those are all available on our YouTube channel, which not only is that helpful for students to make that connection to real world of what they're learning, but I'm sure for the teachers as well, if they show them during their class period, or if they would just watch them on their own, so they could say, oh, I see, maybe I could teach geometry in a way that shows them how to build architecture and space or whatnot. 
So yeah, why why have we not done this before? <laughs> and maybe it's a thing in other universities, but I've never heard of it. And Justin was so excited to like put on his steel-toed boots and hard hat <laughs> and <laughs> safety glasses. And I will have to let you know how it went. I feel like you should have taken a picture as he was going on this field trip. I'm hoping that they had a group photo <laughs> with all these professors. And so. what the learning outcomes should be. Because we've had a podcast in the past about field trips and recommendations on how to do them and what their purpose is. So I wonder if there's any correlation to how they're doing these. Maybe you could give them some pointers on the best way to do should. professor field trips. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll be the next one. <laughs> okay, so I want to first bring up this email that we got from a listener. Her name is Betsy, and she is a veteran teacher in Illinois that moved into a STEM room last year. Um, and so I was talking to her because she got a grant for Space Club, so she wants to run Space Club in her class next year. And then she was like, I actually heard about Space Club because of the STEM Space podcast. Yay! And so a shout out to Betsy and her messages. I love listening to your podcast. My dog and I log several more miles on a walk because I want to keep listening to episode after episode. Your podcast and TPT lessons keep me going. I've listened to all of them, some more than once. Keep them coming and thanks for sharing your knowledge. Wow. Oh, thanks, Betsy. I love hearing that. And I hope her dog enjoys our podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. So hello, Betsy. Keep walking. You got this. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. I love getting listener feedback. So if you have not rated us or left a comment and you are listening, please do that. That's what helps us keep going and be able to provide content for you guys because we love doing that. Yes, we do need to make a living, but we love doing it for free too, giving you as much as possible. So if you could leave us a comment and a rating, that would be much appreciated. And we just like to know that it's not just our moms listening, <laughs> yeah. which I don't know if they are still I listening to our podcast? I don't think so. Mom, Mine's this not. is a test if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually think they are, but it's no. okay. We do this for all the teachers out there. But for today's episode, I have a small rant. Uh-oh. Okay. I mean, we always rant about things, and, <laughs> and I really want to get your take on it before I go off too far <laughs> on this Ooh, one. This sounds so, good. Okay, so my kids are one and four, and when we registered them into daycare, I got this flyer when I went into the building, and they're like, we do STEM. This is a STEM-focused school, and I was like, for a one-year-old? <laughs> like, what? And they have, like, STEM-themed days where they... I don't even know, like have space themes and chemistry. And that like sounds really cool. But as a STEM educator, <laughs> I mean, I call BS on this one because <laughs> I don't really know if you can call it STEM, but you actually do STEM for little ones. I do. What do you think? So I claim to do STEM for little ones, meaning I have three-year-olds and four-year-olds that are at my school that come and see me for 20 minutes once a week. And I am the STEM lab and therefore they get STEM or that's what it says on their schedule. Right. But what does it mean though? Are you actually doing STEM with them? 
uh, my answer would be no. <laughs> oh, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to know, what is it that they are calling STEM? What do your kids, do your kids bring back like a craft? Is that what they're calling STEM? Or, or what is it that they're doing that's called STEM at their preschool? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I feel like they do mostly math. They do a lot of oh, counting okay. and building towers and like counting how many blocks they do. So I think for them, okay. they use the word STEM to just mean like the individual subjects. So they, at that age, you can definitely do math, like Madeline's counting everything. And so they've done a great job there. Science is mostly through literacy. So they read a lot of books that have like science topics. I have not seen any experiments or anything like that. Okay. So I don't know, but I, I feel like, yeah, math and then art is the other big one. They're always doing crafts. And oh. I don't know if I'd call that STEM. No, all great things and all things that they should be doing. I think you have a fantastic preschool, but that is not STEM. I really don't think you can. And that's what I was like trying to that. tell them. Like you don't, you're not selling me by telling me you're doing <laughs> STEM. I am being, I'm more skeptical of your mm -hmm. curriculum <laughs> because mm -hmm. I agreed. I love the art. They do music and dancing. And like that to me is mostly just have fun. Lots of play. Madeline's at the splash pad right now. They have a splash pad out what? there. Yeah. But I don't need it to be STEM. Like I think STEM is important, but I don't think it's important for a three or four year old to be doing coding or engineering design challenges in the way that we think of for elementary middle school kids. Right. I really start that in kindergarten. And I would say that's even really basic. That's it's sometimes hard to call STEM, but you can do it. And that's when you start introducing things because they're really not developmentally ready until they're at that five, six year old stage to really understand how you can apply knowledge in a way that is more applicable to being called STEM, you know, yeah. giving them a science concept and then having them use that in another setting. That's really what we want kids to be able to do, but you can't really do that yet when they're that little. It's just whatever's in front of them, right? So. And even doing like experiments, right? I've done several experiments with Madeline goes right over her head you know like um, how do you explain surface tension like I did this little fish experience we posted it on the Instagram like where she was trying to like make the fish move I mean it was just like funny to her and she kept like dumping the water on the fish and it was it's always <laughs> chaos like I filmed the video and then it's chaos <laughs> right. it's just a disaster but she loves the process. We did another video with a build a lung where she made like a simulation of a lung and that she actually understood. Oh, mostly because I have that pig. Oh, cause you had the pig lung. Okay. Yeah. Like, and she's like, abstract. oh, lung. I know she she's like, yeah, you it. can't see the lung, but she's actually seen a lung. <laughs> it's probably not an average experience for kids. No, probably not. I just bought off of Amazon. They had a deal. It was like a, a, like toy skeleton that had squishy uh, insides like in it. I'll have to link it in the show notes. It looked really cool. Cause I was like, my kids, I don't think they're really, I mean, my kids are seven and nine, so they should understand some things, but they still haven't seen medical stuff. 
so I want them to really be able to understand that better. So I, I bought something where they can actually like squish out the intestines and <laughs> see what it's like. It's like, maybe this will be more helpful. But I think, you know, when they're little, it's really just showing, like showing them the pig lungs. Like that is a really great experience that most kids that age, you just can't comprehend. I don't understand what a lung is unless right. you've actually seen one. So it's, yeah, it's more about experiencing things. I will say there's one vocab word that I give to my preschoolers. It's like, this is my thing that you're going to understand at three and four, and that's gravity. And that's the only thing that I've taught them. And a lot of that is because we're, I'm teaching them problem solving and failure. So we build a lot of towers, you know, build things with blocks. And of course, with that age, that fine motor skills, we're still working on that. Things fall down. And they always get upset when their thing that they just built falls down. And so I give them something to blame it on. I say, oh, gravity. Remember, things fall down because of gravity. Oh, I (laughs) love that. (laughs) So that's always funny because then I have their parents come to me later and they're like, you taught my kid about gravity? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I don't really know if they understand it, but they have something to blame (laughs) blame stuff on. Well, I also wonder we talk a lot about stage stages of STEM and there's Mm -hmm. stage one where you're doing two different things. One is teamwork, communication, collaboration, which we think is very critical to that foundation of later challenges because most of the way we approach STEM is in teams because that's how you do it in the real world. You're not building a rocket by yourself. You have a whole team of people, different specialties come together. So that's one. So let's focus on that. When can you actually start having kids build those skills? Because my four-year-old does not work well (laughs) with other children. Like she's the boss. So Mm -hmm. I don't think I can do it yet. Um, What's been your experience? Yes. So that is predominantly what I do focus on. Because at that age, it is so hard. Especially, you know, the kids that have older siblings and those that don't. And just like your oldest does not like to share, well, it's because she's always been the boss of her household because she's the oldest. So I know who to pair up to work on those skills in my classroom based on their siblings. Mm. And sharing is a huge deal. And so we do a lot of activities that work on uh, sharing in a way that's not so personal. One thing that I do is we work with geo boards, which is really fun to do with four-year-olds. So those are those, you can buy them on Amazon. They're like little squares and they have little pegs and you give them rubber bands. And it's impressive how they can actually use that at such a young age to make shapes. So I'll say, okay, I want you to make a triangle and they can actually do it. And I'm like, okay, now that you've made a triangle, I want you to pass it to the person next to you. And they're going to add another rubber band and add a square so it's like they're not really sharing but they're building upon it because they then they're like oh they're gonna ruin my triangle it's like no they're just adding to it so we kind of step into sharing in a way that's not uh like this is mine kind of thing before we start saying okay you're gonna build something together that's a really hard one and I don't do that with my three-year-olds because it just is mass chaos (laughs) But fours usually by the end of the year are pretty good about building something in pairs, never more than two um, working together. Okay, that's good advice. And I actually have one of those geo boards in the back of a closet because that one was not ready for it. Uh (laughs) 
And so I think I need to pull that out because I love your way of integrating math and geometry into mm-hmm. it and having them do shapes. And I could see, do a yellow square, do a yes. red triangle. I think that's that's a really good idea. And they're working together, but taking turns. I think that's a great skill. Yes, taking turns. That that's right. And we do letters and numbers too on the geo boards, which is fun. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, so then my other skill for like stage one is building and design. And so you mentioned these task cards, but the example you just gave was very simple. So build a square. So how abstract can you get with the designs? Like we have those Lego task cards where it's like build a habitat. How abstract can you get? Not very at all. They, well, I will say this. What's interesting though, and I've done a a video on our socials about this, the younger kids are actually more creative than the older kids. The older kids are like, well, you got to give me exact instructions. I, I need I need a picture. I, I, you know, they freak out if you don't tell them exactly what to do, where the younger kids are like, oh, mine's a, yeah, you told me to build a Disney princess and this car is a, can be a Disney princess. I just put a skirt on, you know, you're like, what? How did you even think to do that? But I usually will tell them. So obviously I don't, have words because they can't read yet. So I'll just tell them, hey, we're going to build a house. Tell me what what your house looks like. What does a house have? And they're like, oh, my house has a door. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. Does everybody want to put a door on your house? So we kind of do it together as we're brainstorming. So that also builds those brainstorming skills as they're building. So what they build may not look anything like what what you're trying to assign them to build, but at least they're able to identify things. So what else does the house need? Oh, a a roof. Okay. How could you build a roof? And they, you know, can't make it balanced and they don't understand how to build a structure that supports that yet, but they're thinking through things. And I think that's, what's important is to help them think where they don't have the physical skills yet. We do a lot That's with, a point, um, yeah. oh, what are those things called? Tan, tangrams? Mm-hmm. Is that what those are? The different yeah. shapes? There's like triangle and a hexagon. Yeah, yeah. So we do a lot of like, I guess that's kind of 2D building of shapes. I'm like, okay, right. build a rocket. And so they'll use those and kind of put them together to make it look like a rocket. And we'll talk about, well, what what does a rocket have? Oh, it has, um, these are called fins. They usually call them wings. I'm like, those are actually called fins. Does your rocket have fins? What shape could you use? And they'll add it together. So if you kind of break down where it's not so difficult to build something, it doesn't have to be built up. It can be built flat on a, on a surface. That, that really builds those skills. What about problem solving? So you, you mentioned build a house. What does a house have? Can they design or come up with a solution to a problem? Yes, and that is what's really fun. A lot of times, a these kids will get stuck and get really frustrated because they don't understand how to do something. Like if, if they're trying to build a roof and it keeps caving in because they don't understand the concept of having a wider base or something like that, then we'll say, okay, let's work together. Who Who has an idea? Can somebody show me how you can do it? And somebody will inevitably figure it out. It's like, okay, look how they did it. And so we learn from each other. So one of the biggest things I talk about in my STEM class with all of my grade levels is there is no such thing as cheating or copying in my class. 
There is nothing that was built by engineers that did not use somebody else's idea. We don't all start over from scratch. So if you see somebody that's doing something like you're doing, that should be a huge compliment to you. You should be like, ah, I must have done something pretty good if they're copying me. Because they, you figured out one solution, one way to make something work. So somebody else wants to build off of that. And that is awesome. So I try to teach that even in pre-K of, hey, so-and-so figured out how to make something balance. You see how it's staying on the top? Can you make yours do that? That's great. Thank you for helping us learn from you. Something like that. I love how you get into your preschool voice. <laughs> oh, am I doing that? Yeah. <laughs> Your voice like changes pitch <laughs> and it, it's very teachery. Like I feel like I'm in a classroom talking to me I'm like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> yes. Well, it helps that this year my grades, my classes were in order of grade level because la- the previous year they had jumped around. Like I'll have sixth grade and then preschool and then fourth grade and then kindergarten. So I'd have to like change my voice. It's like I can't <laughs> yeah. do this. I can't get into character this quickly. So But it yeah, really sorry. is. It's like teaching is like acting. Like you put on that persona. It is. It's a performance. It should be, right? But it's I can imagine very exhausting when you're doing it like day after day and like you have to switch like between each of these different types of performances and it's yeah. true. But I have eight classes a day, so it's a it's a lot. Am I allowed to ask what's your favorite grade? Ooh, well, I guess none of them probably listen, so it's probably okay. It I really like third grade and seventh grade. They're oh. very different, but I like both those ages for different reasons. I like how third grade, they just have such a great capacity to do things, and that's when I can start doing more of the stage three STEM. I think you can start doing that sometimes in third grade depending on the kids yeah and start doing those longer term projects and they have really good questions and they're not afraid to ask them so I like that the innocence is still kind of there in third grade and then seventh grade they just have this capacity to do things but then they start getting this attitude where they don't think they can do it and then I just show them that they can and I'm not going to put up with their attitude so it's a good challenge with seventh grade (laughs) to do that has that been your experience with middle school? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I I love sixth, seventh, and eighth for different reasons because I have them together. So oh. all the kids are in one room. So I'll have right. like 60 kids, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders all mixed in. And that dynamic, I imagine, is very different than if I just had eighth graders. Because when you put an eighth grader with the sixth grader, they are like the king, right? They're <laughs> royalty. They don't need to listen to anyone or do what that little kid is telling them to do, which they're like, what, a year and a half, two years younger than them. Um, and so that dynamic always would just crack me up. And so I used it to an advantage where I would pl- separate all the eighth graders and I make them the leaders they were the space club leaders and they had a team of sixth and seventh graders that would kind of work for them if you will (laughs) (laughs) yeah so they were the project (laughs) managers and so I'm like you've already done the Mars colony competition so you're in charge now you have to figure out how to guide your team to build the best solutions and giving them that ownership worked so much better than a team of eighth graders because they would just goof off and be on their phones and too cool for school attitude in eighth grade. 
so that that was kind of like figuring out those dynamics but the sixth graders were the babies like the fresh new you know like oh my gosh space club and just so excited <laughs> and would like always sit in the very front row and anytime I was like anybody want to share whatever they would like raise their hand immediately and tell the biggest longest stories and have a million questions and they were so like into it and so that kind of fades as they get mm. older and they kind of mature and they start and they start being more about their peers and the school dynamics and so I love them all. I will not pick a favorite. <laughs> Good answer. Right. <laughs> but I just got um, an email. I think I shared earlier that like a one of my space club students that I had as sixth grader is at a university in San Antonio studying computer science. And then I recently found out one of my female students, I had her as a seventh and eighth grader, is going to come to Texas A&M next year to oh. study engineering. And I'm so excited. Oh, and I messaged man. her and I was like, please reach out. Like, I'll help you with anything. And now I just need to do like a space club reunion <gasps> of like six, seven, and eighth graders from like five to eight years ago, you know, that are now graduating wow. and in college. I think that would be pretty cool. That's amazing. I haven't been teaching long enough to have kids that have graduated. <laughs> That's <It's> old. <laughs> But it's so fun to like have that, you know, where you were like a small piece of their journey and they still remember you and like the stories of like launching rockets and weather balloons and somehow that impacted them enough to now be wanting to do engineering is pretty cool. Yes, no kidding. And hopefully that's just building those foundations from even if it's in pre-K, you're not really doing STEM, but you're teaching those foundational stage one STEM skills and that goes all the way up to your husband as a professor going on field trips and learning, learning things <laughs> to pass on. So uh, I love that. I just can only imagine the other things that people are throwing out there that say are helpful that we're trying to constantly debunk, like all mm -hmm. this um, false pre-K stem. <laughs> I mean, they I, call it call it that. I mean, it's still good stuff, but yeah, uh, I yeah. think that there's a lot of schools that are just trying to ride this wave of STEM and everybody's looking for STEM and that's what parents care about. So I think they're just catering to that. Mm. And so I, I would just caution schools <laughs> to be careful when they use STEM and to just be able to back it up and that you don't have to do STEM. Like it doesn't need to be part of your curriculum. There's so many like amazing things, especially for that age. I don't know, but like listening to you though and telling the ways you incorporate these challenges and activities and brainstorming, I'm kind of rethinking that, okay, maybe it is something we can do. And I know you're building a whole curriculum of pre-K STEM. So T's are there. That's right. It's more leaning towards kindergarten, but uh, there are some kids that can handle it when they're in pre-K. I'm talking about pre-K, like right before kindergarten of experiencing more things that relate to STEM. But of course, you need to incorporate that math and the science concepts, do hands-on, problem-solving, all of the things that we've talked about. That's what really makes it STEM. But if your kids aren't ready, then you can't really do actual STEM. But you can still build those skills that are needed for the future. So stay tuned because we do have this curriculum coming that will be super helpful, I think, to those who are wanting to learn more about how you can incorporate some STEM with early ages. 
I'm really excited about it. But I am thinking as you were talking about cautionary tales of incorporating STEM, like we could always jump on that as well. I was, I actually had a dream the other night. I didn't tell you this already, Natasha. <laughs> I had a dream that we started a line of products for um, pet STEM. <laughs> <laughs> Claire. It was like, all right, tell me more. <laughs> what, what, like my dog is going to be doing a your dog challenge? can totally do STEM because you can code your dog. <laughs> okay. I have to remind myself this is a dream and not a real thing, <laughs> but it could be. <laughs> I mean, Problem I solved. guess what your point is just ride the wave if we're all just going to advertise right? STEM. If everybody else is saying these crazy crafts and things are STEM, then should we just join them? <laughs> no. Your dog can also think like an engineer. <laughs> Every animal deserves yes. <laughs> access deserves. to STEM. I mean, just put them in a lab coat and <laughs> do some science experiments. Your dog's going to love it. That's really funny. <laughs> I will think about that one some more. Um, but I just want to thank everyone out there for listening to us. And I'm just going to do a shout out again to Betsy who sent in that email. Anybody else out there listening, send us a message or what do you think of our idea for pet STEM? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time, STEM space out. (laughs) 